Hello, my name is Bob Hurt, and welcome to the Baseball Doesn't Fall, Far From the Tree podcast. For this episode, we are going to speak with the author, baseball historian, and the founder of Seamheads.com, one of the most prolific websites of baseball. From the great state of Massachusetts and a member of Red Sox Nation, my good friend, Mike Lynch. Thanks for being on our podcast, Mike. Okay. All right, let me start off. Uh, For this episode, we will talk with my friend Mike Lynch and the founder of Seamheads.com, a wonderful website that celebrates the history of our national pastime. Mike, some of the questions I'm going to ask you are kind of obvious, and your answers are for the benefit of our listeners. Um, My first question, and it's a real basic one, is uh, when did you become a baseball fan? I know you're a diehard. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much in my DNA. My grandfather on my dad's side was a Babe Ruth fan when he was still with the Red Sox. Oh, wow. Uh, he used to cut out newspaper articles, and he made a scrapbook out of that. And he passed that down to my dad, who was you know, a big Ted Williams fan. Uh, later on, he became a fan of Carl Ustremski. Right. And so by the time I came around, you know, we were already uh, Red Sox fans pretty much almost from the beginning. Right. And I adopted Jazz as my favorite player because of my dad. Right. And uh, it just, just snowballed from there. I remember I was, I think I was about five years old, and a friend of mine asked me, you know, what pitcher has the record for most strikeouts in the season, and I didn't know the answer. And so I decided at that point I was going to dedicate myself to learning more. So next time somebody asked me a question, I would get it right. <laughs> well, <that's good. laughs> And the rest is history, so it's been almost 50 years now I've been studying the oh, game. Oh, wow. I'll tell you. I, and, I mean, a fine job. I mean, you've gone above and beyond, let's say, <laughs> you know, with that. Um, you know what I wanted to ask you? Because I remember, I mean, we've been Facebook friends for, for quite a while, and I remember seeing somewhere you were you were still playing baseball? You were playing? Up until a, about five years ago, yeah. Okay. Yeah, when I uh, graduated high school, I joined a slow-pitch softball team, and then I found a fast-pitch baseball league. So uh, from 20 to my late 40s, I would alternate between softball and baseball. Wow. But uh, two, has it been two years? I think it's two years ago. I had hip replacement surgery. Oh, okay. And my doctor said, from now on, you know, if you want that hip to last, uh, you know, 15, 20 years, no more running or jumping. I was like, all right, well, I'm pretty, pretty much past the running and jumping phase anyway. So, <laughs> so I, I stopped. Um, but yeah, I played for, I mean, I started playing baseball when I was a kid, and then I played all the way up until almost 50. Wow. Yeah, I had, you know, similar, uh, a, a similar experience. I mean, from like T-ball to, you know, through high school, and then I played a couple years of senior league. And, uh, you know, went into playing softball and stuff. And when I got married, my wife uh, could see I was a baseball nut. And I had mentioned uh, fantasy camp to her. So she actually sent she sent me to Pirates Dream Week back in, I believe it was 92. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was a wonderful experience for me. And uh, I worked at AT&T for 21 years and for a long period of time, I uh, worked with kids that were like 10 years younger than me. And at Dream Week, they give you a videotape of your, you know, your week down there. And fortunately, since I pitched, I they they had recorded the entire game of one of the games I pitched and everything. So anyway, one of the one of the kids that I work with goes to me. He goes, hurt. He says, uh, and, th- and I'm like 35 now, right? And I haven't thrown a you know, hadn't pitched hardball since I was about 21 or something like that. And he goes, he goes, he goes, hurt. He says, uh, we need a relief pitcher for our game. Would you be interested? I'm like, all right. So anyway, I ended up, I, I became a starter and stuff. But I remember the second baseman coming up to me and saying, he goes, oh, yeah. He says, uh, I heard your last start was a while ago. I says, yeah, about 16, 17 years. <laughs> 
But, uh, yeah, that was, you know, that was my experience with it. And then I, you know, my, my boys started playing and, and I gave up softball and, uh, playing hardball and then I, you know, coached them. So I was actually throwing more. But, um, another question, and this is based on our, you know, from what I've read on Facebook and stuff, didn't you, uh, post somewhere that you, did an entire season of like Stratomatic or, or APA or something like that? You kept the records or, you know what I mean? Played an entire season? When I was younger, I used to play Stratomatic and APA and everything I could get my hands on. And I got into, I got obsessed with it a little bit, so I, I created my own game. Wow. With splits and dice and cards and charts. And, you know, I, I was like, this, there needs to be more. I, I need more. So I just created this huge thing, and and then I would roll out the games uh, solo. And then I had a three ring binder. You know, back then it was computers were still in their infancy, and so I would write everything down. I still, I think I still have it down in my basement. There's like a huge scrapbook full of box scores with. Um, Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and Willie May. I mean, I had all these all-time greats that I would play. Wow. And I went over, once I got into the computer stuff, I started playing out-of-the-park baseball. And I've been running a simulation league with friends for more than 20 years now. Now, how does, how does that work? I don't think I ever played, I played Stratomatic and I played APA, but, you know, board games, how does, how does out-of-the-park, uh, you know, work? It's, it has more details, bells and whistles than anything I've ever seen. Um, right. So, for example, when we first started, we have a, a league of 20 teams. We drafted our initial rosters. Okay. Um, so, uh, for, and it's from all air. So we have uh, sliding Billy Hamilton. Oh, wow. Willie Mays. You know, I have, uh, who do I have in my outfield? I have Fred Lynn. Okay. So you have all these different players from different eras. And they all have ratings. <clears throat> but what, what I like about Out of the Park is that you can run a career league because it adjusts ratings every year. Right. So as players get older, they, of course, you know, they slow down a little bit. They can't catch up to the fastball like they used to. They start throwing slop. So we can, we have 20, I mean, we rebooted it a few years ago. So, you know, we don't have anybody in the Hall of Fame yet or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> every, and then, you know, the other thing is we get to the, the amateur draft, we hold it at the end of the season instead of in the middle. Right. And the computer automatically, based on what I told it to do, puts together a draft pool, and it's the same thing as players from all different eras. So you could have Dan Brothers in the first round, Thurman Munson, you know, so, and you just keep building your team. There's finances, there's ticket prices, there's, I mean, it's, it's great. You can do international leagues. Holy cow. We have, we have free agency, we have the Rule 5 draft. So, yeah, it's not, oh, <laughs> it's, it's a blast. I, I'll tell you, I mean, well, the, you know, like, I know that you, some of the bios you did for Sabre, you did with some of the older, you know, the older ball players. Did that, was that a, uh, uh, did that come from the, these games or did it was just from your great interest in, uh, historical baseball? I mean, yeah, you know. I was just drawn to them because I, I love the history so much. It's, to me, it's more fascinating than current day. You know, I already know what's going on in current day. I want to yeah. know what was going on back in the early 1900s. Right. And just by doing research, run across all kinds of stuff just in everyday life that sounds insane, but it, you know, it happened. It's being reported. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's more of being fascinated with the last, you know, maybe a hundred years ago versus the last 10 years. You know, uh, talking to, you know, talking to the kids I coach, coached and everything, I mean, a lot of them, they don't have a clue, nor do they really care about old players, older players. Like, when I was, when I was a kid, I knew all about the players, like my father watched, like Stan Musial and Mel Ott and Ralph Kiner and, but, but now the kids are, you know, I, I don't know why, uh, 
you know why that is, but I've noticed that. Eva, I've, I've noticed it. Like my my daughter, who's twenty eight, I guess she uh, she doesn't know. She didn't know who Paul Newman was. <laughs> and, then, and then she and then she goes to me. She says, "Oh yeah, he's got salad dressing, right?" I'm like, "I'm uh, well, okay, <laughs> we'll stop right there." Managing, and one of his players said, "Hey, Skip, did you ever play? <laughs> Are you kidding? How do you not know who Frank Robinson is?" Well, apparently, there's a lot of there's a generation out there that that doesn't. But yeah. um, okay, so we we've established that you are a diehard Red Sox fan, and uh, what I wanted to ask you who was who was and is. Your favorite player? I mean, like, who was your favorite player, and is there any, anybody current that's your favorite player? Uh, well, let's see. I, I started with Yaz, right. and then after that, um, and a quick aside, my first favorite athlete of all time is Larry Bird because he's the first guy that I said I really like him that wasn't influenced by my dad. Right. But uh, from that point on, you know, it's like Pedro. It's hard to keep up with them uh, now. I mean, you know, I, me being rooting for the Pirates, I mean, it's really tough, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's almost like hockey. You know, you turn, every time you turn around, they're playing for a different team. And yeah. even now, I'm thinking, oh, geez, who do we have? So <laughs> I'm going to go with. It's got to be Rovsky. Okay. Um, he's just, you know, he's young, he's exuberant, he knows how to hit. Hmm. He'd be better, but Devers is fun to watch. And if I have a dark horse favorite, it's probably Bobby Dahlbeck because I really want to see him do well. Yeah, yeah. I know there's always somebody you want to root for. You know, you root for success, and that makes it fun. I mean, it really does make it fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's like the Will Middle, Middlebrooks effect. Right, I used to right. tease one of my ex-girlfriends. She was a Mets fan. I'd be like, oh, Middlebrooks is going to be better than David Wright. Yeah. Of course, that never happened, but yeah. Yeah. Hit and miss. Yeah. No. Um, who would you, I, let's see, what did I, how did I put this? Who would you have liked to see play that you never did see play? Like he was around before you were, you know, born. I mean, who would have been the, the one ball player that you would have liked to see play? Uh, Non-Red Sox, I would say Willie Mays for sure. Okay. I still think he's the greatest all-around player in history. Okay. Right, and I've I've always said if I could go back and see one game in history, it would be the nineteen twelve matchup between Smokey Joe Wood and Walter Johnson. I think that would be oh wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, I can I could agree with that. Um, okay, what um, do you remember the first game you ever went to, and do you have any uh, memories of it? I do. The only thing I remember was it was at Fenway. Okay. And Louis Tion was on the mound. And back then, whenever, whenever Louis took the mound, the whole crowd just constantly chanted, Louis, Louis. And I, just, I was eight years old, and I thought, man, this is like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And other than that, the only thing I remember is Fred Lynn hit one deep to left that we all thought was going to be a homer, and the guy caught it on the warning track, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I wish I remembered more. I don't know. You yeah. know, I couldn't pinpoint the date, or I probably could if I thought about it. I don't even remember who they played. You but know, I, I do remember it was magic. Oh yeah. Well, I remember the first time I ever went to a game <clears throat> was at Connie Mack Stadium in Philadelphia, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was with. Um, it was like the minor league baseball team. I was probably like seven or eight or something. And and what they used to do, my uh, the guy who. Um, this guy Barney at a toy center. He used to get a bus and he would uh, buy like bleacher tickets, 
and he would take, you know, you know, I get. I don't even think we had to get a waiver like you do nowadays if you're a kid. But anyway, we went to the game. It was the Mets and the Phillies, and I remember walking down the seats in the uh, the Connie Mack Stadium bleachers, and just it opened up, and it was like this emerald green field, and it was, you know, it was just magical. And uh, I think that's what probably. And it, and it's funny because in the book I wrote, I actually have a chapter on the first game I went to, and I actually um, spoke on the phone with the guy who won the game. He was Gary Kroll. I always thought it was... Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool, because um, I thought it was Jack... It, Jack Fisher started against Chris Short, and um, I was playing softball in Pennsylvania, and, you know, we had this uh, drinking uh, establishment we went to, and it was called Fat Jack's. Now, I... For some reason, I didn't know Fat, uh, Jack Fisher's name was Fat Jacks, right? So anyway, we're sitting around drinking beer, eating pizza, and we're talking about our first game. And it came to me, and I told him about the game with Jack Fisher at Connie Mack Stadium. And one of the guys says, oh, yeah? He says, why don't you tell him? I'm like, tell who? He goes, well, that's Jack Fisher over there. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 yeah. So I, I went over to him. And I was talking to my son. I says, are you Jack Fisher? He goes, yeah. I says, you pitched the first game I ever went to. He goes, and he was pitching for the Mets. He goes, yeah. He says, he says, did I win? I go, you did. He goes, well, that's a rarity. <laughs> and then I go, because <laughs> he was like some, he was always like seven and 13 for the Mets in the sixties and stuff. So I said, you know, I, I got a baseball in my car. If I run out and get it, would you autograph it? He goes, yeah, sure, right? So anyway, he comes, I give him the ball, he signs it. So I have it on my, uh, in my uh, curio cabinet at, at, uh, in my house and stuff, and people would come over, and they would see, I'd show them my memorabilia, and they looked, they said, Jack Fisher, who the heck's Jack Fisher? And I would tell them the story about it, right? So then I was going to write a, I was writing an article about that game, and I'm going through baseball reference and, and the box scores, and I find out that Jack didn't win the game. He, he pitched the first nine innings, but a guy named Gary Kroll came in and pitched the, uh, I guess, the 10th inning, retired the side, and then somebody came up, got a pinch hit, and they, they won or something. But uh, So I'm like, well, now i got to get a baseball signed by him. So I, I tried getting a hold of him, and he, he got back to me about a month later, and I says, you know, if I send you the ball, he says, I said, would you would you sign it for me? And he goes, yeah, sure. So that's how I ended up getting a baseball signed by a, the guy who won the first game I ever went to. Um, wow, that's awesome. Oh, it was yeah. And there's there's other things, but I talk. I'm talking too much. It's about you. It's not about about me. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> okay. I have a story if if you wouldn't mind me sharing. Um, oh yeah. They're talking about when I used to play the fast pitch. I was a pitcher. And I used to face this guy who, it just seemed like every time we played that team, I was starting and he was starting. And so I went to a book reading probably a year or two later. And uh, after the reading, we went to a bar and hung out. And it was uh, Rob Nyer happened to be there. And I, I know him because I used to live in Portland and he lived in Portland. And we bumped into each other and stuff. So we're sitting there and... I'm looking at this guy across from me, and I'm like, who is he? I know who that is. So they finally introduced us, and I realized it was the guy that I used to pitch against. Okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we used to play ball against each other. And Rob's like, do you know who that is? And I said, no. His name is Rob Nelson. Wow. Okay. Well, he used to pitch for the Portland Mavericks back when Jim Bouton was on the team, and he and Bouton invented Big League Chew. Right, right. <laughs> Holy crap, that's Rob Nelson, the inventor of Big League Chew, and then we became friends, but I, for the life of me, I could not figure out who he was until that moment, and then I watched the documentary, The Battered Bastards of Baseball, and you know, there he was, and so, uh, yeah, that's my Big League Chew story. Wow, well, that's pretty cool, I thank you, that's, uh, that's something I'm sure, you know, the people that are going to be listening to this are going to, going to uh, enjoy now, um, it's, it's it's fun when you're a kid. You you know, I used to chew that stuff. Oh yeah. And then you meet the inventor, and you're like, wow, this is like a, a dream come true. <laughs> right, right, exactly, right. 
Um, you said, well, I mean, you know, you grew up in the, the Boston area and you said Fenway. You know, I've never been to Fenway Park, but what is it like? It looks like it's magical. You know, anytime I, you know, the, the movies that use it as a backdrop and then watching the games on TV, I mean, that's got to be a, that's got to be the best stadium. You, you've been to several, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's like you said with Connie Mack, you walk out, you're underneath the bowels of the stadium, and then you you're, get up to your where your seat is, and, you know, the first thing you see is the green grass, and you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is the best thing ever. Uh, Fenway, so for me, I'm 6'3". Right. And Fenway was built in 1912, as everyone knows. So right. the seats, the original seats are very cramped. Oh, yeah. Um, and because of the way the stadium was built, they have the, the posts and the overhang, so you don't want to really sit under that, because as soon as someone has a fly ball, you have no idea where it's going. Right. Right. But we found, uh, my girlfriend and I, we have, I, we haven't been for a while, but there are seats in the upper right, uh, right field. Almost, I mean, it's like it, almost at the top. Right. That looks right straight out at the Green Monster. It's absolutely gorgeous. You can see the city skyline and everything. Bathrooms are right behind you. The beer garden is like, you know, 50 feet away, and it's, it's phenomenal. But the atmosphere itself is is amazing. You know, you got the whole uh, Sweet Caroline, and, you know, it's just, you're all in it together. We're all Red Sox fans. And uh, other than that, I mean, it's, you know, the renovations they've done are fantastic. At first, I thought it was apocryphal that they put seats on top of the Green Monster. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, but... Uh... <laughs> You don't mind that now? No, I, I watch older games when the screen was still there. And I was like, God, that was kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now you hit one into the into the seats. You got people out there trying to get the ball. And yeah, I, I think I do. I think I like it. I'd like to sit out there at least once just to just check it out. Yeah. Well, you know, like what you were describing at Fenway, I I did get a chance to go to Wrigley Field, and um, it's sort of and. When did I go there? I went there actually when Ryan Sandberg played. It was like um, 1984, I think I went. I think they went to the... <laughs> so did I. Did you go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We might have been at the same game. Well, um, it was, I believe it was in May that we went. I'm not sure, but I mean, it was, it was something. I mean, it definitely, and Ryan Sandberg... Uh, he hit a tri the one thing I remember he hit a triple I remember Mitch Williams pitching for the Cubs too you know so, well that must have been a roller coaster yeah 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 it was <laughs> when we went it was uh, Steve Carlton was pitching for the Phillies oh wow so okay. we saw Steve Carlton and Mike Schmidt and then on the other side it was Sandberg uh, Eckersley was there I'm not sure if he pitched yeah so there were you know at least all four Hall of Famers at the time so it was pretty cool wow yeah when I went it was the Braves I think the Braves and the, the Cubs were playing but um yeah that was that that is uh, that's what I, I picture Fenway being like like sort of the same kind of atmosphere that you know I was there at Wrigley and stuff now I know you lived on the west coast for a long time did you uh, did you go to any games out there like in Seattle or was there any? Yeah, I saw a few games at the Kingdom, okay. and uh, I had the pleasure of seeing Opening Day 2000 at Safeco Field. Oh, okay. It was it was cold as hell, and it was the only time I wish the Kingdom was still in existence. <laughs> but it was um, Pedro Martinez against Jamie Moyer, and since it was 2000, it was Pedro at his absolute best. Right. Of course, he threw like seven innings, two hits, thirteen strikeouts, something like that, and. Oh, we loved my my best buddy and I went up there and I think at one point Jamie Moyer threw a pitch that they could clock in at like forty five miles an hour on the scoreboard. We <laughs> I would no doubt. I was like, Oh my he broke the scoreboard, oh my god. I'm sure it was faster than that, but it wasn't much faster. <laughs> so it was, it was quite the contrast, but uh and then the other thing is uh the Portland Beavers we used to watch a lot when I was younger and <laughs> I don't think Portland has a Triple A team anymore. I'm not sure if they have a baseball team at all. Yeah, no, and they had one for such a long time too. I mean, Portland—that well, was the PCL, right? The Pacific Coast League. They. 
Yeah, I mean, Carl yeah. Mays played for them way back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Cochran, Johnny Pesky, you know, they've been around forever. Yeah. They decided soccer was um, going to get more fans, so they switched over. And, huh. Yeah, that's, it's, it's too bad, but, uh, you know, I understand it's all about money and economics. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... You know, it's not like, not like the Beavers were filling the stadium, but because of the AAA status, you know, I got to see... Spike and Dante Bichette, Juan Samuel, and you know, I got to see all these young, up-and-coming stars, and then you also get to see people that are either trying to make a comeback or are on an in, you know, injury rehab stand. So I, I've seen uh, Fernando pitch. I saw Dave Kingman. Wow. Uh, yeah, Fernando gave up the longest home run I've ever seen in my life. But it was, <laughs> and it was funny because my then-wife was with me, and when he got taken out of the game, of course, he got a standing ovation because he's Fernando. Right. And she just looked at me like, why are we giving him this ovation? He's just got his ass kicked. <laughs> it's Fernando. Everybody loves Fernando. <laughs> yeah. You see, you know, where, where I live, um, I'm near a lot of minor league teams. In fact, uh, I've seen a lot of your, uh, your Red Sox uh, stars come up. I, I'm not too far from Trenton. I remember Trenton, yep. the Trenton Thunder used to be the Red Sox, so I saw like, uh, what, o Otis, oh, what was his name? Trot Nixon and, uh, yeah. uh, Donnie Sadler, uh, trying to think of some. I know I saw, I saw, uh, Vladimir Guerrero, I saw play for, uh, the Harrisburg Senators against the, uh, you know, the Red Sox and stuff, but, uh, and that, and that pitcher that I remember he, he was with the Yankees and he was on there for a bunch of years and he never played, but he was getting millions of dollars. And then I think he went to Minnesota and he, he did well. Like, yeah, 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 that's yeah, it. Yeah. I can never, I can never remember his name for some reason, but I saw him pitch a bunch of times. So, you know, my, well, he my, helped us get Pedro. So when hey, I ever see him, I'll shake his hand. Yep. Yep. No, there's <laughs> benefits, right? <laughs> benefits. Um, yeah. Okay, you're a you're a member of Saber like I am. Now, um, what was the um, what was the reason you decided to join Saber? And now knowing your your background and stuff and your love of the history and stuff, I I can mention, but um, I can imagine. But um, you know, like for instance, uh, I think for me the the quote. You remember the quote Ted Williams said it was the best kept secret in baseball or something. Yeah, so that was kind of my motivation, but I mean, I've been reading about it, hearing about it forever. I, I used to read the Bill James Baseball Abstracts every year. Okay, I believe it was mentioned, you know, but there was always a a fee that you had to pay, and I was, you know, too cheap. Yeah, and then when I started writing my first book, um, I saw that they had access to old sporting news, so oh. that was really. The impetus for me finally joining. I just finally bit the bullet, and I've never looked back. It's been one of the best decisions I ever made. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Now we come to the part which um, I really wanted to uh, ask you about was uh, how did Seamheads come about? I mean, I know my buddy Kevin. Yeah, my buddy Kevin Johnson and I started talking about it. I don't know. I think it was about two thousand, the year two thousand, and. Uh, we just wanted we just wanted to put a blog together that had ballpark information and you know stuff like that. So I started working on it, and I had no idea what HTML was. So I, I taught myself that. Right. So we launched it. Like oh, I don't know, this, this is taking a lot of work, and it's not really where I wanted it to go. So we kind of shelved it, and then when I wrote my first book, I decided. It was 2007. My book was going to come out early 2008. So I thought, all right, this would be a perfect opportunity to launch a site so I could promote my stuff. And then I'll, you know, Kevin can post what he wants, and then maybe we'll get some other people to help out. And uh, that's pretty much what happened. I found WordPress. It was really easy to do. I, I don't know if you can hear that. Um, yeah. Cats fighting in the background. It would be Jigs and Pepper. <laughs> Jigs is named after Jigs Donahue, and Pepper's named after Pepper Martin. They're brothers. Wow. <laughs> and they do this every day. <laughs> Guy. 
You know, I, I wrote a bunch of them that you posted for me, so I really was appreciative of it. I mean, it was, um, I was, you know, it was at the beginning of, uh, of writing baseball for me, and I was looking for places to do it, and I, I stumbled upon your website, and like I said, I was so appreciative of being able to, and, and, uh, I liked the fact that people could comment on it. Some people, you know, uh, had nice things, some had critical things. Everything was good, though. I mean, I really, I think it was a wonderful, and I, I haven't done it uh, in a while, but, um, which I'm, you know, I, 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 you know, I can see myself down the road, uh, you know, sending something again, but it, you know, that was a, that's great that you did that. I mean, I, I can't thank well, you enough. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think back to when I was younger and, you know, how much I would have appreciated if I had, a medium that I could, you know, post my work and um, and then that happened and I thought, wow, this is really cool. So I'm going to do the same thing for as many people as I can. And I've got lucky because I've got some really, really great stuff on the site yeah. from people who love baseball. Well, yeah, I love reading them. I mean, I I loved writing stuff for it, but I mean, reading them, I've I've learned, you know, so much from that. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, you know what I saw, you know, I was, uh, did a little research, uh, you know, before I put these, uh, questions together and you're a past winner of the Tweed Webb uh, Lifetime Award. Now, um, could you share with us who Tweed Webb was and a little bit about the award and, you know, Yeah. Uh, he was a bad boy. He was a player. He was a manager. He became a reporter. Uh, he was an official scorer. I mean, the guy did everything. He, he helped form leagues. And uh, uh, he was 75 years at least of uh, being in New York League Baseball. Wow. So when I was nominated for the award, I had, I had no idea. It was just... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky because I know people who are experts at Negro League Baseball. Right. That's not one of my strengths, but because of the website and just uh, having that forum for people to learn more about the Negro Leagues, I ended up winning a Lifetime Achievement Award, <laughs> which, I mean, it's it's cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm absolutely proud as hell of it. Um, I still have a lot of life left, I hope, but... Yeah. But yeah, I was I was completely caught off guard. I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, and you've also been uh, mentioned in other prestigious awards, right? Like the Casey. I think you were a, a Casey Award uh, uh, nominee, and I've been nominated. Yeah, that's I've, we won a, a Saber Research Award in 2012. Okay, my first book was nominated for the um, Seymour Medal, and it was one of the finalists. Uh, I can't think of the name now. Yeah. Anyway, it was a finalist for an award that Sabre gives out. Yeah. Um, there's 10 judges. Mine was the only one that got nine votes. I think the next one was eight, and that got me into the finals. But then when they made their final pick, they picked somebody else, yeah. which is fine because he's a guy that's written for team heads. Right. And, uh, you know, he deserved it. It was a great book, so. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, it's not. I would say it's. A, I mean, my and my buddies Kevin and Gary, yeah. Gary Ashwell. Um, you know, they've they've won awards also just for their their newer leagues research and, and whatnot. 
Right. Now, your first book, was that the one that was on Harry Frissy, or was it a... Yes. yep. Okay, because you have... Actually, true, true story is I wrote, the, I wrote a book about the Black Sox. Right, I know that, okay. Right, and it was, it was a what-if sort of thing. That was the first one I wrote, but the first one that was published was the Harry Frissy book. Oh. Um, McFarland Publishing... You know, they read my manuscript for the Black Sox. They said, well, we're, we're more of a, um, you know, we're all about facts. We don't really do fiction. It's all nonfiction. Right. And right. you have, I had, at the time, I had fictional articles as if I was a writer back then reporting on the games that I simulated, blah, blah, blah. So I said, but we really like your writing and your style. Do you have any other ideas? Right. And for a while, I had always been kicking around the Harry for Z. Van Johnson Dynamics, and I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, they do. So they said, all right, well, write us a sample chapter and a table of contents, send it in, we'll let you know. And then I signed a contract, and they gave me a six-month deadline, and I finished it in four, and the rest is history. Yeah. Now, Van Johnson and him, what was what was the um, the situation with them again? I kind of know. Johnson was... An autocratic president, right? Who basically engineered trades between teams. He signed off on ownership. Uh, in fact, there was a time when he technically owned the Red Sox because he loaned the money to the gentleman who bought it, right? Um, so when Harry Frazee bought the Red Sox, Van Johnson wasn't happy because he wasn't part of the process. So he kind of immediately, uh, you know, they started to feud almost immediately. And then there was this ridiculous claim that um, John Johnson was anti-Semitic. Frizzy was allegedly a Jew and blah, blah. I don't think any of that is true. But mm -hmm. needless to say, they did not get along. And then Frizzy allied with the Yankees and White Sox. And the other owners sided with Johnson. So they're... Ended up being a huge war between the two, and it almost uh, caused the American League to split. Some of the teams were going to go to the National League. Um, and I believe they were going to form another league where they were going to add, uh, I can't remember what it was, Detroit, or no, I think nah, Detroit was already part of it. Anyway, I think they were going to form a new, like the National League was going to form something and add Detroit to it. And, that way they could uh, screw around with the American League's Detroit Tigers. So it was a whole, it was a mess. Yeah, and the American League wasn't that old then, too, right? When when that would have happened, or? Yeah, he bought the team in 1916. Okay, so, yeah. So we're only talking 15, 16 years of history. Wow. Now, um, okay, uh, you've, you've written, what, five books now, or? Yes. Okay, and I know there's the three-volume set of baseball's untold history. Um, I think I read the first one. I'm not sure. You want to tell us a little bit about, you know, those books, the untold history volume yeah, the set? The first one was uh, The People, and that was largely about people that I'd already written about. Right. That... Uh, Nobody really knows. I mean, I always pick subjects that I like to think that, you know, they slipped under the cra or under the radar or whatever. Um, you know, so like, uh, sorry, my mind is going blank. <laughs> That's all right. Mine does. Uh, that all the time. <laughs> I know. Shuffling Phil Douglas is one. Okay. He was banned for baseball for offering to leave the Giants and go fishing for a month so the Cardinals could hopefully pass them and right. win the pennant. So he got banned for that. Um, so I, basically what happens is while I'm doing research, I always run across somebody that I'd never heard of before. And I start doing, you know, looking into them and whatever, and I get interested and I find all kinds of interesting stuff. Art Shires was another one. He's probably one of my favorite characters just because he's... Well, it's not around anymore, but he was nuts. He used to beat on his manager. He he boxed. He wrestled. He thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And 
Myers was photographed shaking hands with Alvin Pump. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the president, the American League president's like, yeah, we can't do that anymore. So <laughs> next time anyone's caught fraternizing with the fans, it's going to be a fine. <laughs> so the book is basically um, unknowns or people that are really familiar, but you may not have known certain things about them. And then the second one was the World Series, and it's all fun tidbits and stories about pretty much the same thing, things that people might not know. Right. Um, about World Series history, some stats, some fun facts, whatever. And then the third one, which is my favorite, is The Wild Side, and that's just all crazy stories of the White Sox going on a hike back in, I think it was 1901-ish, somewhere in there almost getting hit by a train. Oh, um, it was kind of like a stand-by-me moment where they're on the, the tracks <laughs> over the river and the train starts to come and they're like, oh, geez, what do we do? You know, so it was one of those situations. With, uh, there was a bad boy, it was like a ceremonial bad boy that stole all the Philadelphia A's jewelry, World Series rings, and took it home, put it under his bed because he wanted to start his own team. He was going to sell the stuff and get the money to start his own team. <laughs> Um, so the whole book is full of that kind of stuff. There's uh, murder, um, prison, gambling, you name it. And yeah, it was one of my favorite ones to write. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to go to the library and get a put in a request for that because that uh, that sounds like something that I would like. Uh, well, I I, I like reading. So if you want to send me your address, I'll just send you one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I might do that. <laughs> hey, um, let's see. Well, you're obviously a uh, prolific writer. Do you have any? Do you have any plans for the future? Anything in the works you want to write a, a, another book or? I was going to do one about no hitters, and I'm still thinking about it. Right. I know my publisher wants me to do it because he wanted a four series for baseball's untold history instead of three. Um, But it's just, you know, this last couple of years with the pandemic and the hip surgery. Oh, yeah. I just, I don't know, I haven't really been that motivated. Fortunately, like a lot of the books that I write, I already have all the information that I need. Right. So, I mean, it's one of those where it can practically write itself. I just need to actually do it. I have a no-hitters database that I keep updated and has everything you could possibly ask for. So, um, you know, I could crank that out pretty quickly. So well, I should probably such, get on that this year. That's such a benefit, I mean, that you have all these databases. I mean, because that, you know, that's, uh, you know, a big part of, uh, you know, writing baseball history, of course, you know, having, and you have it so close at hand there. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I, when we did our ballparks database, I took it upon myself to come up with uh, first and last events, mm. which you can find on retrosheet.org as well. But yeah. I dive deeper and I try to add as much detail as I can. So once I got that done, and I'm updating that as we speak, right. I added no hitters. Uh, eventually, I'm going to have cycles, milestones. So you'll be able to go to the CMEDS database, click on whatever you're looking for, and you'll you'll find all the information. Well, I know I'm going to utilize some of that, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. I yeah. love doing it. Yeah. And and you said when you started all this, you didn't even, you, you had to teach yourself HTML. I mean, uh, you, yeah, weren't, you weren't an old programmer when you started out. No, I took uh, the source code from Sporting News website. Okay. And I just tweaked it because I had no idea. I was like, okay, what if I change this value from zero to one? What happens? Right. And I would click it, you know, and it would show up on my screen. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and then I just kept doing that. You know, I didn't I didn't use their stuff for anything, um, you know, business or anything like that. It was just on my own personal computer just so I could see what the, the syntax looked like. And so I taught myself that way. I read some books. I took a couple classes and... Next thing you know, I was able to punch it out. Of course, now with um, WordPress and different websites, it's it's so easy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's that's impressive, Mike. I mean, to be able to, you know, 
to figure things out like that. I mean, I'm doing the same thing right now with PHP because I have no very little about it. What is what I'm is PHP? Able. What is actually actually is PHP? Is it? Um, if you so, for example, you go to a, go to the ballparks database, and um, you know if you look at here, actually, I have it right in front of me. Yeah. If you do the, the first and last events, like I was saying, um, PHP. If it's a language that pulls the data that you're looking for. So um, if you want to know who had the first hit ever at Fenway Park or whatever, right? It, there's a language that will look for the database so you don't have to type in that information. All you have to do is type in a code. Right. So it pulls that for you, and then you can rearrange it however you want. I'm still not very fluent in it, but I'm, I told my buddy Kevin I'm fluent enough that I'm, I'm dangerous at this point. So I've been able to rearrange certain things the way I want them, whereas before we had a, a webmaster, and I, you know, I was always like, I don't want to bug this guy and say, can you tweak this and rearrange this and whatever, so now I can do it myself. It's a little bit more complex than HTML, but it's probably easy to people who already know it. You know, they're probably like, geez, this guy doesn't know crap. <laughs> <laughs> You're blowing my mind. I mean, so I definitely don't know crap. <laughs> oh, man. So um, I know you were saying about the uh, the no-hitters uh, database. So um, is there any other things that Teamheads is looking to do in the future or – you know, it's something that evolves, you know, cons you know, constantly. Yeah, constantly. we're, as I mentioned before, I'm going to add cycles and milestones, but uh, we're also going to add New League parks to our ballparks database. Okay. Uh, we are, we have a friend who calculated major league equivalencies for the Negro League players, so I'm hoping to add those to the Negro League's website. Wow. So you'll be able to click on Josh Gibson and see who the most uh, similar players from Major League Baseball. Now that would be yeah. really that would be really interesting. I mean, because uh, you know you hear about like oh yeah you know Josh Gibson hit 900 home runs and but then you you read that actually in uh, in league play it might have been 238. Um, that that would be really interesting. Uh, you know I can't wait. Yeah, that's you know, right. I, I said, I can't that's, wait until you do that, you know, something like that. That's that's the issue we're having is, um, you know, Negro League stats are not like Major League stats where they were compiled, you know, immediately and for every game. And even, we, you know, you know, Major League stats aren't always completely accurate. Sometimes they're adding an RBI or taking away a hit right. years later. So you're right, you know, some, some people say Gibson hit. X number of home runs, well, we only have a smaller amount for him. Right. But with the major league equivalencies and similarity scores, you know, you could, instead of saying just blanketly, he's the Black Babe Ruth. Okay, right. well, the, you know, the equivalence and whatnot, he's probably closer to Luke Gehrig, or if you just compare him to catchers, then you can narrow it down that way. So I think it's going to be a valuable tool for Oh, people. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what I want to move on to, because I know you're, you're up on the game and you're, you're very knowledgeable. I was going to, I don't know if you recall, I asked uh, questions that were a little more current. Um, being an American League fan, do you believe that the DH should be in both leagues? How do you feel? And, and the reason I say that is because isn't it just the National League and the Korean League that, that has, uh, you know, the DH. I think everybody else under the sun is uh, has the DH. Yeah, I mean, I played high school in the mid '80s, and we had a DH. I mean, it was, you know, that was in high school baseball. So yeah. I've always been a proponent of DH for everybody. Nobody yeah. wants to watch a pitcher hit. Yeah, it's fun when you get somebody like a Bumgarner or whatever who can actually right. swing a bat. But more often than not. You're going to walk the number eight hitter as long as the bases aren't loaded or whatever, and you're going to pitch to the pitcher, and he's probably going to try to lay down a lousy bunt, and, you know, it's boring. But 
one thing that's funny that I wasn't really considering, now that they've decided they're going to have a DH in both leagues, I'm afraid Kyle Schwarber is going to sign somewhere else because I really want him to come oh, back to the Red Sox. Right. People are thinking, oh, J.D. Martinez is probably going to you know, opt out after this year so he can play in Miami, you know, where he's closer to home or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the residual effect, but I'd rather see actual hitter, you know, at the plate rather than a pitcher. Okay. And I get the whole strategy, um, you know, we're not going to have double switches anymore, this, that, and the other thing. But really, I mean, how often? I, I, I don't want to watch a lot of National League Baseball, but yeah. I don't know how often the double switch is used in that league, to be honest. Um, mm. And these days, it's not, a, you know, the way they use pitchers, it's not going to be a, though it's Zero zero in the ninth. This guy's throwing a two hitter. You know we need to take him out for a pinch hitter. Right. Um, so now you don't have to worry about that. Not that the pitcher would ever get to the ninth inning anyway. But <laughs> yeah, right. Six innings. <laughs> it's nuts. It's, I'm 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 not a fan. I, I don't like watching games where there's you know fourteen total pitchers are being used for a nine inning game. It's ridiculous. Well, how do you feel about what? what how, how is it done where the, uh, like, Tampa Bay started that, where they'd start off with a relief pitcher that would pitch, like, two innings, and then, you know. Yeah, the opener, yeah. Yeah, an opener, yeah, that's what they called it, right. <laughs> um, it's happened before, but that's what I like about history is it's, oh, wow, this, you know, this happened in 1960-something where right. a, a pitcher or a manager said, hey, the first guy up is lefty, and the rest of the lineup is right-handed. So we're going to have you throw to the first guy, and then we're going to take you out. And it worked, you know. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But now yeah. it's standard almost. You yeah. know, every team seems like they have an opener, or you have a four or five man rotation, but you need to, you know, give your five guys a rest so you throw a long reliever for a couple innings. And I get it. It's, it's just not used to it. And I used to, you know, the shift. You see a guy hit the ball up the middle, and my brain still thinks, oh, that's a hit. And it's right at the second baseman because he's playing right behind the base. I, I can't stand that. Uh, I mean, because, like, well, you played ball, high school ball. I played high school ball. I mean, you hit the, when you hit the ball up the middle means you hit it, well, the old expression, squarely, right? I mean, it's like, and it, it was like, uh, no question, it would be a base hit if you get it past the, you know the pitcher and stuff, and now, like you said, it's uh, it's a uh, four-three uh, ground out or something. You know, it's uh, it's horrible. Um, you know yeah, the oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You you know the other. You, I well, what I was going to say, Mike, is is like you know we're talking about using like fourteen pitchers or you know all that, but think about. I mean, I know the air run average has lost its uh, potency. You know, they it's not as valued as it was but i mean that's based on nine any you know nine innings or something and it's like i mean with pitchers nowadays i mean like the opener or the the uh the starter of the game might only be intended to go like four innings i mean it's it just messes you know statistics up i guess you know yeah true i mean what's a quality start now i i didn't think the quality start was even great to begin with, but right. it's, it's pretty much obsolete these days, you know. Yeah. I, I was watching a Sox game, and one of the announcers was going gaga because the starting pitcher went like five innings, <laughs> and he, only, he gave up like two runs, so, oh man, that was an exceptional start. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, yes, two runs in five innings, all right, I'll take that, but that's not... You know, it's just not what I'm used to. Well, what about Harvey Haddix in 1959? I mean, that would be, you know, yeah. 12 innings of perfect uh, perfect baseball. I mean, you know, that would blow their minds. I mean, if five innings, a two-hit ball, I mean, that's, that's crazy. And uh, another, another question, and one, you know, I was, when I was in church today, the guy that sits in back of me, he's a big uh, baseball fan, and uh, we started talking about, how long do you think the baseball strike is going to be? Or, I mean, we really haven't officially, I guess it's not officially a, a strike yet, right? Or I'd say the way they're going, it's, I don't see a, 
soon. Oh, wow. I mean, if they get into a room and they talk for 15 minutes and they walk away, what's, what's that doing for you? Yeah. Much nothing. And they, uh, they already postponed spring training. Right. I don't know. I'm, they're, they're starting to lose me. I never thought I'd say that, but just with everything that's going on, you know, I get the, the pandemic. We had to have a short season. Personally, I would have liked to just see that whole season canceled, to be honest, but. Right. Um, but now we're in this and, you know, we didn't get a World Series in 94 because of the same stuff. 81, of course, was a shortened season. 95 was shortened because the 94 thing ran over. I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's getting tiresome. I don't blame the players. Uh, on the one hand, because they had the reserve clause for so many years and free agency is only, you know, the past one third of major league history. So right. if they feel like they need to get more of a chunk of the pie, that's, that's fine. But it's hard for me to root for someone who makes $400 million over <laughs> 10 years versus a billionaire. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I said to somebody recently, but 1970, the, like the minimum major league salary was like $16,000. And the average American made about 4,000. So right. it's only four times, right? You can actually see, okay, maybe I have a chance. Or if I bump into this guy on the street, you know, it's going to be like, hey, how you doing? Huh. You know, congratulations. Hope you have a great season, whatever. But now you want a guy like Franchi Cordero has already made $2 million and he hasn't done anything. Yeah. And I make, you know, whatever, how many grand a year I make. Right. It's ridiculous. I mean, they're so far apart, you know, whereas back in the day, you might run into a ball player selling insurance because they had to have a, a job when the winter hit. Well, yeah. I mean, like, you know? think about in the 40s and stuff. So, I mean, you know, growing up where, where I grew up, like New Jersey, New York area, I mean, like Phil Rizzuto and uh, Yogi Berra. I mean, they sold suits at men's stores or, like you said, insurance or, you know. Uh, Cars, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like that anymore. There's a whole – and you, how can you relate to those people? I mean, you can't – I mean, uh, I was – you know, I was talking to someone. We were saying, like, the minimum – Salary, I guess, is what, like six hundred thousand they're making this year. It's like just shy of six hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even think. I'm pretty sure I haven't made six hundred in my life, and I'll be sixty five in <laughs> April. <It's> like, <laughs> you know, and and I, you know, I I've been a hard worker all my life, but I mean, <laughs> here's somebody that a third string catcher who might see like twenty games and or something like that, and he's making six figures. I. Yeah, I don't know. I can't identify with that, Mike. I can't identify with that. You know? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I think Willie Mays made like 40 times more than the average person. But then he was the highest paid player. Now it's something like 800 times the average. Oh, like yeah. Max Scherzer. Yeah. How, how, you can't even fathom that. I mean, I can't even figure out, you know, how much he's making per second. Script is, I, I don't know. But well, again, yeah. it's all about the market. You're worth whatever someone's willing to pay you. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just harder to relate now. You know, it's funny. I remember uh, Sports Illustrated or or Sporting, yeah, Sports Illustrated came out with when when Clemens got that first big, uh, you know, contract and stuff, and they were breaking it down by. You know, he made four thousand per pitch. He uh, fifteen thousand per strike. It was like all these numbers. I'm like, he threw one ball. You know, if he threw one ball, that was worth four thousand, and I might have been making twenty thousand for my, you know, for a year. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. But uh, it is the game we love, Mike. Right? I mean, well, we did. I don't know about anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm hoping they get through it soon, but I, I'm not confident that we're going to have an opening day anytime soon. Oh, uh, well, that's, that's one of the sadder. I mean, that's what you look forward to. I mean, you look forward to it, uh, the, the snow staying away from the ground and, and hearing, uh, hearing the crack of the bat. You know, it doesn't, uh, and for it to be not that far away, it's, uh, that's horrible. Yeah, every, every year it was a national holiday for me. I would 
would take oh, off. I would. Absolutely. I'd go to the store, I'd get, you know, dogs and chips and beer, and I'd sit yeah. there all day and just watch baseball. Right. Nope. And I'm not, I don't, I mean, I work from home, so it's. Yeah. Not, I mean, in the last two years I've been working from home, I used to actually go into the office and I would take the day off, but, um, I don't do that anymore. It's just, uh, it's sad. Yeah. Well, Mike, I'm going to wrap this up. I just want to thank you. And, uh, you and I are cut from the same cloth, I think. Yeah. I mean, I really, yeah, uh, the world, the world fogies screaming at clouds. <laughs> That's a <laughs> great way to the days of old. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, Mike. You too, buddy. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. All right. The phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, is meant to indicate how children's qualities and talents are similar to their parents. So to honor my dad and his influence on me concerning baseball, I named this podcast, The Baseball Doesn't Fall Far From The Tree, in his honor. If you have any questions about today's program, you can contact us via email at rvhurte at gmail.com. And if you're interested in our new book, Intelligent Influence in Baseball, you can also send us an email and we will let you know how you can order it. In the immortal words of the famous baseball journalist, Red Smith, baseball is a dull game only for those with dull minds.